Hi guys, and welcome back to Tales from Wisteria Lane, the podcast where we give you a fair view of all things Desperate Housewives. I'm that final job you have to do, but it kills you off. Joel. <laughs> and I'm the best thing that could have happened for my parents. Billy Ray. <laughs> <laughs> and today we are doing Season 5, Episode 13, The Best Thing That Could Have Ever Happened. Billy Ray. <laughs> So I will be doing the overview of the episode and B will be giving us the trivia. So do you have anything to start us off? Yes, I do. So this episode was written by Bob Daly and directed by Larry Shaw and it first aired on the 18th of January 2009. The best thing that could have happened is a song from the musical Merrily We Roll Along. So that's where the title comes from. This is the 100th episode of Desperate Housewives and the 101st episode for Boyfriends Review if you include the Kiss Before Christmas episode that we did. Woo! which was our Christmas special. It is. Last episode was our technically our 100th, and we didn't even celebrate it. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't include a kiss before Christmas, then this is the 100th episode. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll pop the champagne. Martha Huber's hair colour and style looked different from the pilot when she discovered Mary Alice's body. Back then, she was a redhead, and her hair looked quite messy, while in this episode, it has a blondish look and is now more blow-dried. Was she really a redhead in the first episode? I yeah. don't even remember that. But obviously, these episodes were filmed years apart, and we can forgive a few little continuity things. Well, yeah, you would have thought they'd have shoved her in like an Annie wig or something. Also, fun bit of trivia here. This episode marks the third time a character has had a husband that turned out to be gay. There was Sophie Bremer's third husband, Stella Wingfield's husband, Glenn, Lynette's stepfather, mm. and now Edie's second husband, Umberto. Yes. And also in this episode, we find out that Eli was the last person to see Mary Alice alive. Mm. We've also got a couple of little continuity goofs, if you will. So Susan gets Eli to change the locks after Carl leaves her in this episode. But in season two, he lets himself in and tells Julie that he still has his key. Yeah, well, maybe Julie has a key. Like, Julie gave him a key. Maybe. But, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. And last one, the interior of Lynette's house is painted blue in the flashbacks, but during the time the flashbacks would have taken place, the interior of her house was light pink. Oh, look at them changing up the houses without us even realising. Yeah, little um, continuity things. You'd have to be a mega fan and really look at every detail to spot something like that. I would also like to mention that in this episode, it comes out that Eli was the very last person to see Mary Alice. But actually, in a previous episode with Lynette, it's Mary Alice states that Lynette was the last person to see her alive outside. Lynette sees Mary Alice take the note out of the mailbox and Mary Alice states that she killed herself a few moments later. Yes, and we also see that in one of Lynette's nightmare sequences. Yes. Her, like, dream sequence. Yeah. So that's also a little bit of a strange continuity goof, isn't it? There's actually, I've pinpointed an awful lot of goofs with this episode, which we will get to at the very end, because I have thoughts. It's difficult, isn't it? Because there's a time jump, we've been recording for seasons, we're going back to in between lots of different places. Mm. So, not that it really matters, but I'll do a brief previously. So, Porter returns home to face whatever charges he's given for Dave's crime. Carlos started his new job, which gave Gabby some new parental challenges. Brie and Dr. Alex got off to a rocky start, and Susan and Edie got trapped in a basement together, and some harsh truths were told, ending in Edie giving Dave a second chance, and Susan ending her relationship with Jackson. Yeah. So, we start the episode meeting the handiest handyman, Eli Scruggs, who is finishing up his last job on Wisteria Lane, fixing Susan's roof, before retiring and swanning off to 
I don't know, Waikiki or something? Somewhere that's probably hot and yeah. nice. Yeah, Benidorm. <laughs> you know, Karen's kind of annoying in this opening. I w- I'm just going to say, Karen, I-, I-, I think it's meant to come across as sweet that she doesn't want him to retire, but can you not at least pretend to be happy for the man? Yeah, and she's there like, you know I don't like new people. She's and making like, his found... retirement about her. Yeah, and she's like, he's like, I found a nice new person. His name is Toby, also the same name as Karen's cat, but... Uh, his name is Toby and he, he's he been working with me and he's really reliable and blah, blah, blah. And Karen's just like, damn it, no. Right? <laughs> this is this is all about me. Me, me, me. God's sake, Karen. <laughs> so we see this as an issue for the people of Wisteria Lane. Eli is confident that the person that he has hired to replace him will be more than capable. Karen wants to throw him a party, but it's not really his thing. And he climbs up his ladder, fixes Susan's roof and dies. Yeah, he says that he wants to go out quietly. Mm. And then he went out quietly. quietly. Without leaving a mess either. Good for you. His little nail just falls into his little box at the bottom of, like, in Susan's yard. So one hour later, Juanita notices Eli on the roof. What is it with these kids and noticing dead bodies? Oh, poor Juanita, that's scarring. We then cut to two days later and the girls are playing poker and discussing Eli's funeral and the mathematics behind getting him flowers. And Gabby's mind wanders and we flash back to early years Gabby, who's new to the lane. And it is so refreshing to see early years Gabby. Also, I love a ladies playing poker lunch. Yeah. Love that. But Uh, yeah, we're back to 90s supermodel Gabby and neglectful but also very hot husband Carlos. Yes. In typical Carlos fashion, brings Gabby some shoes and Gabby is adamant that there's a catch to the shoes. She is new to the lane and Carlos has not been around and it turns out that Carlos isn't going to be around some more. Yeah, and we have a clip. Don't leave me here. I'm going out of my mind. Everyone is so boring and suburban. (sighs) On how many freaking honor students can that school have? Can we please not argue in front of the handyman? He has a name. What's your name? Eli Scruggs. You hear that, Carlos? You brought me to a place where people are named Eli Scruggs. Fine. I'll give up my job and everything that comes with it. Not the Jimmy Choos. They're the only friends I've got. So, Eli Scruggs is fixing Gabby's sink or whatever, and he overhears the conversation that Gabby has, the fact that she doesn't really know anybody here and it's all suburban. So he gets her an invitation to their poker game but Gabby kind of twists it to make it so that the ladies come to hers mm. instead of she goes to them. And so then we flash forward a little bit to the following week and Gabby is hosting the poker game and she makes her grand introduction and we get Shaolin. She returns for a very brief scene. I know, what a throwback. Which is a cute little throwback. <laughs> she likes to make an entrance. <laughs> <laughs> Sassy that, as ever. That's out of Russian. <laughs> the girls come over to play poker and... Ugh. Okay, I'm just going to say it. So first of all, Mary Alice looks terrible. Lynette's wearing one of Tom's shirts again. Susan's it's dressed old, in... Lynette. Susan's dressed in greeny brown. Bree's wearing a golf jumper diamond look. And with the hair flicks again, it's just so it's season so, one. It's so good to see. <laughs> it brings back so much nostalgia. And Gabby's there. This is like... <laughs> Got one of the greatest moments, I think, the this joke. scene. And uh, Gabby's talking about John Bon Jovi, and she's like, Pumpkin, that's what I call John Bon Jovi. Pumpkin, I'm suddenly not about to steer a yard. Oh. <laughs> and then um, she talks about how she's bored and how bored they must be, and they all start to talk about fun things to do in suburbia the kids' soccer team, and the school play, and church, and she sort church. of slaps Mary Alice and tells her that she's only been here a month and it makes her want to put a gun to her. <laughs> Yeah, 
but Gabby is set on putting, yeah, she's set on putting salt into the wound. And she kind of just sort of tells the girls that her best days are behind her. And now she's got to settle with these ladies. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best first impression. I mean, Susan makes some bad first impressions, but Gabby, you're giving her a run for her money here. Oh, yeah. But also, vodka shots of Kate Moss. I kind of want to hear more of Gabby's backstories. I want to hear more of Gabby's, like, model stories. After this, I kind of wish that Gabby, for the first two or three seasons, was like Tahani in The Good Place, where she's constantly name-dropping and talking about past experiences oh without that, without trying to sound like she's name dropping that would have been hilarious why didn't we get a spin-off of gabby so and yeah her suicide joke although insensitive is hilarious with the context yeah it, it's funny <laughs> it's funny so the next day after this awful poker game eli <laughs> drops gabby's bill off and he drops some truth alongside that bill telling her that she blew her chance because she was acting all better than they were and he leaves giving gabby a bit of something to think about did you notice that he was saying they called you stuck up, obnoxious, a bitch. And in the background, Xiaoling's just nodding her head like, yeah. Yeah, and then yep. Gabby's like, like, my clothes said that, not me. <laughs> <laughs> so then the next poker game is now happening and Gabby obviously isn't invited, but she pops over to Lynette anyway to apologise for her behaviour, bring muffins and tell them exactly how she feels in a very raw and sort of honest way. It was very nice to see. Yeah, it was nice. It was nice. So, yeah, they let her play. And the moral of the story is that if you gossip to your clients, they become better people. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and Brie, I will point out, because it's really noticeable in this scene, in my opinion, Brie is clearly the head of the friendship group and has 100%. been from day one. Because after Gabby's speech, nobody says anything. But even though the poker game's at Lynette's house and Lynette's the one that answers the door, she turns to look at Brie and it's Brie that steps forward and basically lets her back in with the girls. I know, right? The Regina George. And none of the other women say anything. They just look at Brie and Brie's like, now that's how you make an entrance. And that's like Brie basically saying, she's in, girls. Oh, she's in. I mean, they were probably thinking, she's brought muffins. This is up to Brie. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Oh, she's stepping on her toes. <laughs> Uh-oh. So that was Gabby's little storyline mm. of the episode. We got to see how Eli influenced Gabby's story and her life on the lane. So, yeah, we'll cut to Brie now. And so we're back to present day and we're still at poker discussing Eli's funeral. And this time, it's food. So all eyes point to Brie for obvious reasons. <laughs> and Gabby grabs <laughs> her cookbook for inspiration and she just takes it from underneath the shelving unit that she's balancing. <laughs> Yeah, using Bree's cookbook as a counterweight. Yes, balance, or like a, a balancing. Balance. Yeah, like she uses balance. it to, to stop something from falling over. <laughs> one needle one at her coloring book back. Kind of like a paperweight. Mm. So pre-season one, we go to Bree because Lynette's pregnant with, I'm guessing, Penny. Maybe. I'm assuming I Penny. Guess so. Rex is around as well, and Bree's complaining about wanting a new stove, and Rex is adamant that they don't need one and if Brie wants one then she should go out and get a job and pay for it herself which apparently isn't a bad idea you know it's good to see the actor that plays rex again because he is quite good as rex he's a very good yeah he's a good actor it's a memorable character of all the characters we have in the show and he he's only around for a little bit yeah he's around for like one season yeah one season he's around a for. season and a bit i think so then we cut to later on and eli's at Bree's place fixing something while Bree is furiously I, I writing just, i mean in the first scene, though, Tom's driving me crazy. Oh, why? Because he won't shut up about Lynette He won't cooking. shut up about Lynette cooking. Yeah, I know. Give Even though rest. she's, like, what, eight months pregnant or whatever? Yeah, give it a rest, She's mate. clearly heavily pregnant or I'm... really fat, but... 
And also, Rex, he does say, if you want it so bad, you can get a job. That's important. Yeah, that is important. Those words came out of Rex's mouth. So Eli's at Bree's place fixing something, and Bree is furiously writing down in a notebook, and that's when Rex walks in and is disappointed to find out that Bree hasn't cooked dinner and is leaving him with leftovers. I know. A lef- I love a leftover night. Bree does love a leftover night. I'm not really fussed on a leftover night. Give that's because I'm the here. cook. Yeah. So... Apparently, Bree's been too busy with her new cookbook idea, and Rex is a real asshole, basically, and laughs it off, making Bree feel like he doesn't believe in her, and he tells her to make him some dinner and forget about the silly idea. I know, like, what the hell? It's a shame that he's such a Debbie Downer and doesn't believe in her, his wife or her pursuits. What the fuck? So, do you remember three or four episodes ago when I said, oh, actually, we get backstory into the cookbook? No, but carry on. Oh, go, I, go. I, I said it like several episodes ago. I don't remember how and <laughs> why off. now. But um, I basically said to you like, oh, actually, no, in a few episodes we get history as to how the cookbook originated and yeah, how she's long had, she's, she's had, had the it. idea for years. Yeah, yeah. And it's not just a cookbook. It's like a cook and lifestyle book. So, yeah. She throws all of the notes away in like a bit of a disheartened kind of my husband doesn't believe in me kind of thing. He doesn't go unnoticed by Eli. So we then cut to the day of Rex's funeral, which is the first funeral, not the one where Bree reburies him in an angry fit. Yes, that was great. <laughs> so the first funeral, and Eli has finished up on his job at Bree's place, and he goes to leave. But before he does, he asks Bree what's next for her, and he pulls out her cookbook notes that she threw away and hands them back to her. And she isn't in the mood to write cookbook right now, but he thinks that one day she will be. Yeah, she's. he held on to that for years. He did, and he From does Lynette say... being pregnant to Rex's funeral. Right. And he did say in this flashback that that Cajun meatloaf is the best thing that he's ever had and then that in the present day leads Brie to decide what to cook for yeah. his funeral which is a Cajun meatloaf which is an odd thing to cook for a funeral I think very because spices well yeah so when Rex said if you want to make if you want the new stove so bad you can obviously make your own money and get a job or something what he really meant was can you just shut up and be content can you shut up a second he, he just wants her to be quiet and be content. No, he just, he wants her to be the woman of the house. He needs her to do the cooking and the cleaning. If she's off writing a cookbook, she's not going to be around to do that. One, one, so he doesn't want her to make money at all because he would feel inferior. Well, yeah, absolutely. And he even said to Brie in that like scene where he tells her that it's a stupid idea. Like, oh, if, if you want a stove that badly, I'll get you one. Even Yeah, it's ridiculous. Because if she's making money, he wouldn't feel like the sole breadwinner. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't. He would feel less of a man. Well, yeah, he would feel like Bree doesn't of, need him. Exactly. That's the kind of man he is. Yes. He's that man we thought he was. He really is. And it's a, you know, it's a good thing that they kept Vanderkamp on the book, though, because in this scene, it makes it more thematically pleasing. Mm. You know, going back to... How he didn't believe in her. He then, didn't think it was a good, viable thing. Yeah. And she's using his name. Love that. Yeah, love that. So Edie, we cut to, has come home from a trip with Dave, who lets her know that she received a voicemail telling her about Eli, and we get a flashback of Edie and Eli. And you can tell she's genuinely upset about it, which I guess you just wouldn't really expect from Edie for most people. So no. you, you know it's genuine. Yeah, like for just like the neighbourhood handyman, you wouldn't think that Edie would have such a strong connection with him. But you wouldn't really think about, about all of the women, really. Like, it's sad. We know him. We've known him for a long time. He's done a lot of work for us. But actually, they're all really heartbroken in their own way. And that's because he's had such an influence. So, yeah, this character that we've never we've seen in never our lives. We've never seen or heard of. <laughs> but we could get to that at the end because I've got notes on that too. So, Edie's arguing with her husband at the time, Umberto. Someone we've never heard of. Never heard of before <laughs> in our life. Um, who believes that she wants too much sex and all he wants to do is go to the gym and work out. Which, I'm sorry, alarm <laughs> bells. Alarm bells right now. I mean, hey, Umberto. Um, I have... 
I would go to the gym. <laughs> I'd go to the gym with him. Hey, I, I could lift a weight. <laughs> so he tells, or he leaves, telling Edie to use her toys as she collapses on a bed in a dramatic, horny huff. You know, he's he's not completely wrong in that regard because she probably does have a really high sex drive that some people just couldn't keep up with. I couldn't keep up with that Edie sex drive. So he probably has a point where he says, "You have toys. You like maybe just use them once in a while. Give me a break." Yeah, I'm not a piece of meat. <laughs> so she even says in this scene, "It's been two weeks." Calm down, Edie, okay? It's only been two weeks. Life does get in the way. Yeah, but for someone with a high sex drive, it's been two weeks. I think she is seeing a problem. I mean, yeah, but I'm sat here like, two weeks, is that it? I went six, seven months with my ex. <laughs> Bear in mind, life gets in the way is a valid excuse for busy people. She is clearly not doing much, and he's just going to the gym. True, that's true. So... This is when Eli walks in. It turns out he's been in her ensuite for the duration of the argument. And he's heard it all. But before he goes, Edie stops him and asks for his opinion on her body, which he compliments and says is lovely gal. And then we have a clip. It's not you. Are you sure? Trust me. I used to work in construction. My buddies would have gone crazy for you. Cat calls, uh, nasty gestures. Hey, you with the sweater mates. If you ever need any work done, call me. Because I got the perfect tool for the job. You, you, you kept the drift. Yeah, I do. That was insulting and demeaning. Thank you so much. Ew. Yeah. I'm so glad that Eli's chilled out in his old age. Well, yeah, that's true. Well, to and a even, degree. Even he was like, yeah, right, I used to work in construction. Like, I don't think he sees it as something that's nice. Yeah. But I think he's just <laughs> like, it's not you, love. Like, don't worry about it. Yeah, because that was a bit cringe, but... It's very funny that Edie would see that as a compliment, though, yeah, because I that's know. so easy. She runs off in happiness after realised comments. She's like, oh my god, that made me feel like such a dirty whore, and thank you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, it's really weird. This show was written and made by a gay man, but the gay men have such a bad rap in this show. They really do. Right? Like, this guy just ran off, turned out to be gay. So, well, yeah, so we cut. Edie gets a divorce. We cut to the day of Edie's divorce, and it turns out, shockingly, that Umberto was gay. And apparently being with Edie is what made him realise. Yeah, like, he's not painted in a very good light here. No, he's not. And we don't have a lot of very good gay characters in this show. I think Andrew might be the only one that I can think of. Yeah, and even then he started out. <laughs> yeah, pretty he rocky. He started out pretty rocky. But that, Justin, was, that was Bree's fault. Justin is probably the, the most consistent gay character we got, and we got him for like half a season. Yeah, and he's constantly beat up as a joke. Yeah, that's true. So what is with the gay represent? Oh my God, I'm not have- I, I can't talk about this again right now. <laughs> I'm not in the mindset. Let's move on. So Eli sits down and cheers up drunk Edie, who takes her opportunity and pounces on him. Now, they end up having sex and what i will say is eli does stop her and say are you sure i don't want to take advantage of you and then he does take advantage of her because she is drunk well she said no she was like you put the mirror above my bed so you'll know i now you'll know why <laughs> she's drunk a whole bottle of white wine <laughs> oh so a whole bottle of white wine is not enough to get Edie drunk drunk i'm just saying that out of all of the backstories this one is right slap bang in the middle it's the weirdest it's the most pointless and it's Oh, I could have done without it. It absolutely is the most pointless. I don't see how he's influenced Edie's life at all. And do you know what? She's not even at the lunch table with the girls playing poker. So this could have all been cut. It could have completely been cut. It could have been (laughs) a completely Edie-less episode with all of the other housewives. Even with Mary Alice, when we eventually get to that, we really 
see an influence in their story and in their character from Eli. But you don't get that with Edie. Edie's just, Eli's there. He compliments Edie. She has sex with him and then that's it. Yeah, I think it was to fill the comedy quota because it was quite sentimental. Yeah, it was. So we cut back to present day and Edie picks a wonderfully sexy dress for Eli's funeral. And Dave's like, it's a bit sexy for a funeral, isn't it? And she's like, (laughs) Eli won't care. Oh, he's sin more. He (laughs) fucked me good. Oh my God. (laughs) Gave me a good dickening. (laughs) And that's all we get from Dave as well. That is all we get from Dave. There's no further story development for the villain. So Penny comes running to... Oh, we move on to Lynette now. <laughs> All the ladies are still at Gabby's place organising Eli's memorial. Yeah, back to back to the poker lunch now that we've had the little random filler part of the filler episode. Yeah. Penny comes running to Gabby's calling out her mum for making a promise she hasn't kept, which is helping her with her homework. But Lynette's busy planning, so she tells Penny to get started and she'll join her. And then we get a Lynette flashback. You know, um, I know that it's a whole thing of Lynette made a promise and she should be helping her kid, but it's also like someone's just died. Yeah, I know, right? Come on, Penny. (laughs) Penny's, people have died. People are dying. (laughs) People are dying. (laughs) So Lynette is pregnant and is not too thrilled at the idea of another baby, especially as she wants to go back to work. Lynette being pregnant is her theme of the episode. It really is. (laughs) Even in flashbacks. (laughs) So Tom apparently can't give up his career apparently, because it means so much to him, despite the fact that we all know by this point Lynette's career meant a lot to her as well. I mean, you may hate me, but I don't think it's totally unfair of Tom to say that he doesn't want to cut back on his work here. No, it's not unfair of Tom oh, okay, good, to okay. want that, yeah. but it's just hypocritical. And the audacity for him to look Lynette in the eyes and say, I don't want to give up my career, when yeah, she gave up yeah, her career. That's the thing. If he doesn't want to cut back on his work to stay at home, that's totally fair, but he shouldn't expect Lynette to do it then. Yeah. Like, if you both go to work, I'm sure you could afford... A nanny? And it's also not too much for Lynette to ask for human contact from people that don't need her to wipe their asses. Yeah. And if America had a much fairer system when it came to new parents mm-hmm. staying at home without having to be fired or lose their jobs, we wouldn't be in this situation. But that's a, a bigger issue for another day. <laughs> well, yeah. But also, hinting at Lynette to make the kids breakfast during her morning sickness, that is a crazy move, Tom. Oh, yeah, that was real shitty. The man brain of it. Real shitty. The man brain of it all. Mm. He's like, Lynette, the kids need their breakfast. She's throwing up! Oh, my God. Men are vile. What is with Tom in this episode? What is with Tom? Period. We cut to nine months later, and Lynette is in a phone interview for the job that she really wants, and also in labour. And Tom starts to panic because she's having contractions, but Lynette does manage to get the job. She's exactly the kind of career-driven woman that would have a job interview or going into labour. Yeah, it's and perfect. Tom, Tom's freaking out, but let's face it, this is her, what, fourth kid? So Penny's just going to walk right out. Perfect characterization. So we cut to a few weeks later, and Lynette is talking to her new boss about how excited she is to start things up when she gets in next week, and she carries the shopping inside, but leaves Penny in the car. Mm. So Eli hears the baby from, like, across the street and comes to the rescue, saving her and bringing her to her mother, and understandably, Lynette is freaked out by this oversight and clearly ashamed of herself, and she hangs up on her boss, implying that she won't be taking the job no more. Yeah, it's one of them things where it could have gone horribly wrong, but it didn't. So count your gra- count your blessings, count your graces, and just don't let it happen again. Yes, and Eli helps her to see the value of family. So uh, we cut back to present day, and Lynette has realised the value of family, and all that she gave up for Penny, and goes running after her to help. That was so corny, the fact that she's like, I've got to go help my daughter with her history homework. Like, yeah. We're in the middle of planning things. Yeah, she's there like, oh guys, I'll leave it with you, I've got children. And then I she just runs so... after them. <laughs> Okay, that was Lynette, and now we move on to Susan. 
And Susan is home from poker and she pours herself a glass of wine and thinks about Eli. And we hit another flashback. And this time it's of Susan throwing out Carl's things as he's just left her and Susan has called Eli to change the locks. And Susan seems to be doing very well with the news and Eli attempts to help her by slagging off gingers. But (laughs) Carl's secretary, Brandy, is blonde, which means Eli saw Carl with a woman that wasn't Brandy. Yeah. And then Susan flips out because he obviously didn't mention it and he assumed that Susan knew because everyone's talking about it apparently. So first of all, poor Eli coming across Manic Susan. He must think that all the women on this lane are just absolutely bonkers. Absolutely mental. But also, <laughs> redheads are not all nuts. Thank you very much. I mean, in all fairness, I don't know one ginger who isn't a little, at least a little bit crazy, but that is not the point. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, maybe they are. Who knows? Mm. Uh, so the next flashback is of Susan, and this time she's absolutely devoted at her divorce, babe. She called Eli to change locks again. Which divorce? Incorrigible. Towards a mic. Ah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Just wait to point that out because in the last one it was happening to Carl. Yeah. So she called Eli to change the locks, and when he finally gets that out of her, he goes to get some stuff, but Susan's incessant wailing stops him in his tracks. <laughs> and he gives Susan a lovely speech about love and how she's an inspiration with her constant fight for it, despite the heartache she always goes through. Yeah, he's like, I thought you and Mike were a really good couple. Yeah, we all know that. I'm sorry, but this is probably the second most pointless of the stories of the whole episode. I find this story really, like, this little bit is like, oh, okay, yeah, it's picking up Susan and Mike again. But the rest of it, I find really quite nice. Oh, fuck off. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And I think um, at the end of Susan's story with Eli, I think it rounds it off nicely and we get more of of to why I think it's nice. At the moment, yes, it seems (laughs) kind of pointless. But by the end of Susan's little Eli story... Yes, it it rounds it off nicely and it gives it a bit more meaning. Okay. So we then cut to our most recent flashback, which is of the day Eli died and his conversation with Susan about her roof. And he tells her that it will be his last job. And Susan takes this moment to tell him about Jackson. And she thanks Eli for always being there for her. And she finds it weird that she doesn't really know anything about him, considering that she seems to think he's almost like the most stable male figure in her life. He's just always been there. We also, so yeah, we find out that her and Jackson are break, have broken up now. Yes, yeah, it's so official. We finally have some new information for yeah. this episode. <laughs> Thank God for that. So yeah, she basically finds it weird that she doesn't know anything about Eli. And so Eli basically says to her, well, I'll fix your roof and then we can have a chat. So she goes to the shop to buy oh. some wine. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I know. She gets a bottle of wine for the two of them to toast his retirement. And it's a toast that Eli will never get to have. Yeah, it's like the minute she's like, you know what, I'm actually kind of interested in you after all these years, and then he dies. Yeah, I know. It's the Susan so curse. it like comes back 180 because the beginning of Susan's little story here, before she has her first flashback, she's drinking a bottle of the bottle of wine that she bought to have the conversation with Eli, but Eli's not there, but she's thinking about him, which is quite like a nice little like moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do agree. Yeah. <laughs> so we cut to Mary Alice now. We have a little, let's see how we affected Mary Alice's life. Oh, boo. Put her in the bin. I really like this. <laughs> I really like this story. But this is the story where I have questions. Okay. okay. This is the story where I'm like, no, this this opens up a whole new like can of worms. All right, then. Dish. So we cut to Eli's funeral and Mary Alice talks about how Eli never forgot how amazing she was and how he owes her everything. And we get a Mary Alice flashback and we come to the earliest flashback i'm guessing eli's new in town and looking for work and mary alice isn't interested but she offers to take some cards and give them to her friends and this is when she notices how eli is currently struggling you know he's got old shoes he can't replace and at first it gave me very death of a salesman vibes and then when i researched death of a salesman to remind myself i was like oh actually no it doesn't 
<laughs> She's like, that is that is well, Povo. I've got help. Well, yeah. It's my sacred duty as a Christian. It's awkward between the two of them. They ignore it. Eli goes to leave and Mary Alice announces that she's got a broken vase, vase, however you want to pronounce it, that needs fixing and well, he accepts uh, well, the Well, she work. doesn't pronounce it either of those ways. Vase, vase. She's like, I have a broken vase. Oh, yeah. She pronounces it vase. <laughs> vase, vase and vase. So whichever one you pronounce it. Vase. <laughs> vase. <laughs> Uh, so we then flash forward to the day Mary Alice got her letter, which is episode one of Desperate Housewives. Okay. Thank you, Martha Huber. And Eli walks in on her and he can tell she doesn't seem herself, but doesn't really question it. And he goes to leave and Mary Alice sees the vase he fixed for her that day they met and she gives it to him. And she thanks Eli for all the help and he thanks her for the chance she took on him. And he asks her if she's fine and she says that everything is fine, which he questions. But Mary Alice tells him to leave and he does. Mm. We then see Martha Huber, and we cut to the scene where everyone's standing outside Mary Alice's house. She's just shot herself. Clearly the aftermath of episode one. Martha and... Huber's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I know. Love her. So the neighbours are all outside on the lane, and in the distance, we see Eli watching on, absolutely devoid that he didn't do anything to save her, and he then vowed that he would help people whenever they need it. And he did, like, a little silent prayer. He had, like, his hands together in his van, and he's like, I'm not going to let anybody else die. Yeah, you see, all the moments that you said made you cry, I didn't care about at all. But that one did get to me a bit. I was like, that's really sweet. It is a really sad, like, little moment. Yeah, that is really sad. And that gives you a bit of character for him and why he is so helpful and kind, which you don't need because some people are just like that. But it's nice to have. Yeah. So that's the episode. We end with all the women at the funeral saying their final goodbyes. And this is coffee. <laughs> God, it's so stupid. As his coffee gets lowered into the ground, Bree fixes his reef for him. And then she goes... I just wanted to fix something for Eli for a change. Oh, I'm glad. And then all the women go back to their lives. Oh, and Mary Alice is like, and somewhere up there, Eli was saying thank you. Yeah. So that is the episode. Mm. I'm guessing B really doesn't like the episode. Um, I don't dislike it, but in conclusion, it's the definitive filler episode. You couldn't get more filler. No, you couldn't get more filler. we don't learn anything new about anyone. Brie wants to write a cookbook, Lynette wants to work and not stay at home, Edie enjoys sex, etc, etc, and the story doesn't move forward in any way, because we don't see anything new of Dave or anything that drives the plot. The only thing we learn is that Susan and Jackson have finally broken up, which we were we knew was coming anyway. Okay. It pays tribute to a character that none of us have ever met before. We didn't know anything about him. He got character growth in one episode and then he died. So as nice as the episode was in places, and some fans online said it was their favourite, what was the point? I mean... Even the Mary Alice scene at the end was completely unnecessary and useless. Although it's clearly a filler episode, I think it is done in a very beautiful way. Like, it doesn't progress the story in any way, shape or form, but it does show the importance of those around us, even if we don't realise quite how important they are to us until it's too late. However, and there is a big, this is a big (laughs) however, and it is in capitals and bold and everything. However, I question the timeline of this entire episode. Oh, so some continuity errors. And it was only from Mary Alice's scene. Do I question it? They fucked it with Mary Alice's scene. So Mary Alice claims that it was only after he failed to save her did he promise to help people and become more involved in their lives. But he helps all the ladies before Mary Alice's death. Gabby was already friends with the girls. Like Mary Alice's death was episode one. In, in episode one, Gabby was already friends with the girls. Susan had already broken up with Carl. Edie was single and after Mike, Lynette had already given birth to Penny. So I think it was a nice idea. And I think it felt short ever so slightly because of that. Oh, snap. 
So when I said that this was a character growth moment that wasn't needed, but it was nice to see, it wasn't even a character growth. It moment wasn't a character. He was growth already moment helping them anyway because he was. Already, so he was just nice. He was already doing the very thing that Mary Alice was claiming he vowed to do after her death. He'd already helped every single one of these women. Yeah. So there was only a few of these flashbacks that actually were post episode one of Desperate Housewives, like season one, episode one. The majority of these flashbacks were pre season one, episode one. Yeah, it's hard to retroactively write in things like this. Yeah. So when you've not seen when this is a character that we've never seen or heard of before at all, not even in the background of some scenes or whatever, it's incredibly difficult to write him into character stories and have it make sense. It just felt odd for a 100th. So let's move on to the next segment where Joel's going to give us the gayest and the straightest moment of the episode, starting with gayest moment. So my award for gayest moment. It goes to Gabby for her entrance to the girls when she welcomes them into her home. Oh, God. And for calling John Bon Jovi pumpkin. That's fierce. Yeah. Oh, John loves me. I don't love him, but he loves me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that kind of vibe. Exactly. So, so Good old John Bon. So well done, Gabby, for gayest <laughs> moment. And then what do you have for straightest moment? My award for straightest moment. <laughs> okay. I mean, I think it's obvious who this one goes to, right? Like, it clearly goes to Rex, right? <laughs> Why? For his attitude to Brie wanting to make her own cookbook and, like, lifestyle book and moaning at Brie to cook a meal because leftovers are ridiculous. Like, the whole concept of leftovers just seems ridiculous to him. Yeah, I guess, yeah. That is the epitome of that kind of straight man bro. Heteronormative, like... like yeah. Old-fashioned expect- straight man bro. Yeah. Which is what Straight Smoke's all about, isn't it? Exactly. So. so, bravo to Rex. Back for one episode and you get an award, which actually you weren't even alive for. Brilliant. I mean, bravo, bravo, so this fucking is, bravo. This is the very first Straightest Moment Award that's ever gone to Rex. Oh my God. Because he wasn't alive when I was giving out this award. Oh yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> so, bravo, Rex. <laughs> so, that's my award. Now we have Best and Worst Parents. So, babe, who do you have for the best parent? And if you say it goes to Lynette for leaving her kid in the car, I will scream. No, my award for best parent of the episode. It goes to Lynette <laughs> for helping Penny with her homework. Reluctantly. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh I'll no, she that. she was she was well up for it. She was end. well up for fractions. Guys, I've got to go. I'm helping my kid with her maths. Uh, fractions as well. Like, uh, oh god. That's the one thing I probably could help my kid with when it comes to maths homework. In all fairness, what fractions? Yeah. It's just once it gets to trigonometry, then I'm like, okay, I'm out. We don't even do trigonometry in this country, do we? Yes, we do. Do we? Where did you go to school? I don't know, some bullshit ratchet place. Uh, What's trigonometry? uh, Something to do with triangles or something? I don't don't know. (laughs) So you're judging me and you're like, I don't know what trigonometry is, but we do it. (laughs) Okay, so well done to Lynette for best parents. Who do you have for the worst? My award for... Worst parent of the episode... Now, I originally was going to give it to Lynette for leaving her baby in the car, but then I was kind of stuck on who to give best parent to, and also I was like, you know what, I'm going to give a girl a break. Give a girl a break. And instead, I I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it to Tom, because he couldn't be bothered to make his own kid's breakfast when his wife was having morning sickness and thrown up in the toilet, and she had to angry stare at him for him to get his ass in that kitchen, so I gave it to Tom, worst parent Tom. Fair. Yeah, no, I agree. That is fair. And you know what? I know that in some technical forms, maybe it should have gone to Lynette, but I don't care. It's my segment. 
I mean, it should have gone to Lynette, really, but... It's my segment, and yeah. I'm giving it to Tom. Screw you, Tom. You deserve all the hate that you can possibly get in this episode, because you sucked. Also, trigonometry is the branch of mathematics concerned with specific functions of angles and their application to calculations. Yeah, so triangles and shit. Well, there's more than just triangles when it comes to angles, babe. Yeah, true. <laughs> so, that... Them, them were my awards. Yeah. So, if anyone has any questions, queries, comments and theories, where can they find us, Joel? You can find us on Instagram at Boyfriends Review, and you can find us on Twitter at BFS Review. We also have email, which is boyfriendsreview at outlook.com, and Louis does all of our artwork. You can find him on Instagram at Design. He has a link to his Etsy page where he does commissions also. Yes. Join us next week, or at some point, when we'll be back in your ear holes with Season 5, Episode 14, Mama Spent Money When She Had None. God, these t- episode titles are getting longer and longer and longer. And stranger. Yeah, I know. <laughs> See you then. Bye. Bye.